If you're new with us today or new to church recently and aren't familiar with the term Advent, I just want to tell you Advent is nothing more than um, a term we use to celebrate these four Sundays prior to Christmas, and then we also celebrate on Christmas Eve. So it's five celebrations, the four Sundays before Christmas and then Christmas Eve. And Advent literally means coming towards. And so we spend those five celebrations remembering that God came to us. Like we couldn't climb to him. He came to us and came into human flesh and walked and dwelt among us. It's a miracle. Absolutely bonkers amazing that he did that. And we get together and we celebrate that. And I'm not sure if you notice this about much of the Christmas and just worship music in general, but very much of the music uh, that centers um, on the gospel, the message of the gospel, also is music that tends to have cries and petitions to God. Of course, there's declarations as well. But many cries and declarations in the music, even that we've sung today. Instead of making music requests, we come in singing music with requests. If you get my drift. And, and in a sense, music with which we worship the Lord that has these requests is a reminder to us of what I mentioned when I first came up here. And that is that were God the Holy Spirit not to show up, for us in our gatherings or really just anywhere in life, our worship gatherings would be filled with elements, things happening, gears moving, but empty of power and blessing. God's presence changes things, makes things possible that are impossible by simply our planning. Without the Holy Spirit's presence, even our best efforts and intentions are empty, friends. <laughs> hollowed out machinations of well-intended religious folk. And so that is why it's good to practice the discipline of making requests before the Lord. And a lot of times our songs are requests or they contain requests. It's a good discipline to make requests to the Lord. It's good to cry out, to make petitions, make asks of the Lord. And I want to point out three types of petitions we see in Psalm 132. First one is right from the beginning in the first few verses. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not even give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Much of this is hyperbole about how he was so fixated and committed to finding a place where God's presence would dwell with the people in what we would eventually call the temple. So he's talking about just absolute fixation on finding that place that the Lord would dwell and his presence would be with his people. Because he understood something that the presence of the Lord is it. I mean, it, who are they? were it not for the Lord with them. And the same is true of us. But I want you to pay attention to his cry. His cry was, remember. Catch that? First word of the passage, remember. 
just a word of explanation. We need to say this just in case we get a false impression as to what it's meaning here. When we say remember, we're saying to one another, hey, I know you may have forgotten, so here's a reminder for you. Is that what we're saying to God? God, you may have forgotten about this, and so I'm going to remind you. That's actually not what the Bible means when people make a petition of the Lord to remember. The petition to the Lord to remember in the Bible is like saying, Lord, show your great faithfulness again. You haven't forgot it. Show the people your memory of your promises. Your great faithfulness. And he doesn't just say that. If you didn't catch this, he said, I am being faithful. He's actually pointing to his his own faithfulness, to David's faithfulness, saying, I am faithful. David, on our behalf, was faithful. He didn't shut his eyelids. He didn't go to his house. He didn't sleep. Yes, it's hyperbole. It's part of the poetry of it all. But he says, I mean, he, he would... He would do anything to find a place the Lord would dwell with us in its presence. Anything. And so he was immensely faithful. Lord, remembering David's faithfulness and by, by extension our faithfulness, remember you be faithful. Be faithful as you always have. Show and display your great, your great faithfulness to your promises. This is a good cry for us during this season. There's a sense in which all our faithfulness is small. I mean, I I can point to a lot of things I do that is technically faithfulness, but it's small. I may even call it petty to even mention it to God. And it's definitely imperfect. But it can be, humanly speaking, significant. I mean, what, what they're referring to right here. The psalmist is referring to David's faithfulness, which is actually pretty significant to get the temple complex done. This is a part of what the Lord had asked his people to do, a place of dwelling that he can be with them and be their God and he be, they be his people. So this isn't insignificant what he's done. And so the thing is, it's, it's really a matter of degrees. Imperfect, sometimes small, but degrees of significance. And... Um, I can't speak for you. I don't want to project this on you. But oftentimes, um, and, and I don't know if to, whether to describe this towards kind of an over-realized manhood um, and just wanting to you know, bring my best, but oftentimes I will not even petition the Lord for his faithfulness or be so bold as to point to whatever faithfulness because I don't know that I've been faithful to the nth degree significantly enough to come before him. Um, And I don't think that that actually respects the spirit of the psalmist. The psalmist may be referring to David, but I do believe that whatever is your best faithfulness, it's okay to bring it today and say, I've been faithful a little bit. I know it's imperfect. And I'm going to use that as kind of the platform by which to ask you, cry for you, to show your great faithfulness. Whatever little faithfulness I may have, it ain't going to make a dent in this world, but I know your great faithfulness would. 
Would you add to my little faithfulness and remember? Bring your great faithfulness to the scene. We're, uh, as a church, we, we use something called a community Bible reading journal. And some of you use it, some of you don't. Um, I'm going to probably emphasize that being a more consistent aspect of our church life uh, in 2020 and beyond. But all that aside, we'll get to that <laughs> down the line. But what I wanted to say about that is, um, in making that commitment, uh, it's one thing to read through the passage of the day that everyone else in your church is reading. It's another thing to go- make sure that you do it like first thing in the morning. Like we talked about this a few weeks ago, like the, the impulse is to grab the phone and read the text that came while you were asleep or read the message or the email that came in the middle of the night or, or maybe even to watch the weather, which is more our practice and drink your coffee and chill before the day starts. But it became, we're shaped more than we realize by the first things we do in the morning. We're formed and discipled by the first things we do in the morning more than we ever think. So I began to think through, like, like what would it look like for me to actually, like, like just make sure, without question, I'm going to read truth and let it enter my, my heart and meditate on it from minute one and let it sh- shape and form. And to some extent, I've been successful to this, not completely, but successful nonetheless to the point where I point to it now as a means of faithfulness. Lord, would you be faithful and let that truth kind of germinate and grow in my heart and let me see where the truth of your scriptures is just crying out to find its way into living my life today. Would you be faithful? Would you show up in great faithfulness? It's a small commitment to just read one or two passages of Scripture really early in the morning. That's just, that's a small commitment. Some of it's not small, small, right? (laughs) But, but But I still need a great faithfulness on the part of God to show up for it to even germinate and make a difference. I really need him to show up. I made a promise to meditate on your scriptures from the moment I woke to start my day by being formed by the truth in the scriptures. Would you please complete that work, God? Remember. Remember this faithfulness. Be faithful to form and shape me to be like Jesus in the way my emails or texts and the weather are not shaping me to be like Jesus. Second thing he says, behold. Behold. We heard of it. In Ephrathah, we found it in the fields of J.R. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Behold. Behold. The rest of it is talking about the corporate worship, about the anticipation, about almost coming out of their skin, looking forward to worship corporately with the people of God and be in God's presence with them. But he says, behold, look, take notice. That's what behold means. Sometimes our cry needs to take that form. Father, behold, take notice of our great desire to enter your presence and worship you. 
Again, this can be imperfect, but the idea is to point to what at this moment might be our greatest current evidence. But take notice and take notice that I showed up where you gather with your people. Showing up's half the battle sometimes, right? For some of us, our best prayer to the Lord as we enter this place, and it's a good prayer. Behold, Lord, I'm here. I showed up. I came. You've met with your people on a rhythmically weekly basis for as long as the ages are. I showed up today. Behold, take notice that I'm here. Take notice that I'm here. Or in the case of this text, take notice that I desire to and have made plans to gather for corporate worship and I'm coming out of my skins for the time to come. I woke up. That might be your behold. Behold, I woke up this morning and didn't sleep in. Behold, I didn't play golf this morning. I chose to put it off to this afternoon, even though in Texas summer heat, it's much better to do it in the morning. I put it off. Behold, I gave up being overly prepared and ready to watch the game. Behold, I chose the discipline of corporate worship over a desire to do something else. It might be imperfect. It may not be what you would want to place before the Lord, but what is it that you're best today and say, behold? We can all at least say, behold, I made it. I came in 20 minutes late. I missed five songs. I'm here. Behold. Finally, Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you in the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away from the face of your anointed one. When he says arise, he's saying arise. Act in a powerful way. Act powerfully. This is the meaning of arise. And this is specifically a gospel request. He speaks in terms of going to your resting place or the place where he resides, you in the ark of your might, basically his throne, which represents the place of the atonement, which the atonement is the heart of the message of the gospel. So he's really asking for the Lord to set in his place where the gospel is truly made known to his people. Basically, let the good news of your gospel message blow up and show itself, display itself, manifest itself in powerful displays. Arise, be powerful in the way the gospel could just blow up today. And it may be out of a specific need in your life. You might have a very specific need in your life. Maybe there's some real change that needs to happen. Arise! I need you to be powerful to enact a change that needs to happen in me today. Or maybe you have someone on your heart, a hope you have for someone in your life, family member, a friend, 
maybe an enemy suffering, or maybe lost in sin, or maybe crippled by some sort of idolatry that they're buying into, any of these things, and, and so you're crying out, I have such hope for this friend. I need you to arise. And so we sing and we pray, arise, Lord. Make that petition. Or maybe out of just a, a true desire for God to be made glorious in some way in the world, the kingdom made real and the king shown for who he is. Could you through your people, could you through me, could you through just three or four of my friends show what it looks like to live within the kingdom of grace under a good king, not an abusive one? Arise, Lord. There's a lot of good things in the Psalms. Sometimes we miss this, but these cries, these words that represent the cries of the psalmist, those are informative. They teach us as well. What do you need to cry out for today? Let's say a word of prayer. Let's ask that the Lord give us insight and that he gives us the words, the articulation, or maybe just the heart posture that even in the songs we sing over the next few minutes as we begin the process of closing our service, that we could sing from a posture that knows what we need to cry out and petition the Lord for today. Be specific. Bring what little you have and ask him to bring his infinite resources. Because with you bring what little you have and add his infinite resources, you got all you need. You got all you need. Let's pray. Father, grant us in these moments the faith to ask great things of you and to expect great things of you. Help us believe that. Help us know that as we come to you now, that what little faithfulness we have, even if we feel it's insignificant, is enough to bring, but yet to really rest on your, your showing up. May we be dependent in that way. I pray this with great hope for myself and my friends. In Jesus' name.